Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson, now going by Bubonic Chronic on the episode tonight. Uh, you can find his wares at trubster.com. You can find the episode we're doing tonight from Russia with love at lastnighters.com slash 153. And uh, I'll just throw this out there. If you like what we do, throw some money our way at our Patreon, lastnighters.com slash Patreon. I got a great bonus from someone I Patreon to uh, recently, uh, Snobby Bobby of the Not For Everyone podcast. I just Patreon to them and Adam, his co-host, made art of me and another Patreon person uh, that looks like a stick figure uh, anarchist symbol. So it was pretty cool. So big ups to uh, Adam and Snobby Bobby over at the Not For Everyone podcast. And you can find our Patreon at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. And perhaps, Robert, uh, you are a, uh, well, quite the artiste, if you uh, if I may say so myself. I don't know if you'd be willing to throw something like that out, but maybe there's something we can come up with. No, it was cool. You showed me that picture. It was not anything I could get to be as good at that as that. But, you know, for your, I'm sure you probably what Patreon him for a few pennies. So, you know, you probably got what you paid for on that one. I Patreon him five foot long, $5 foot long uh, every month. Uh, for a Subway sandwich picture. every month. A Subway sandwich from 2007 every month. Nice. Yeah, actually, I heard that um, Subway sandwiches in some legal proceeding could not be considered technically a sandwich or their bread can't be considered actually bread, something like that. I'll have to look that up. But uh, speaking of people who look up trite and stupid nonsense just to prove a point, thus being an asshole, we have, of course, the professional asshole has been with us many, many times in the past, um, uh, who is... Behind the scenes here, uh, if he can unmute, we can introduce him. Welcome back to the show, professional asshole. Howdy, guys. How you doing? We're doing uh, we're doing mighty fine, especially now that you're here. Uh, we're we're doing a, an episode in honor of the passing of the great Sean Connery, and uh, you had picked out this particular film because, well, in some of the private groups that we're in, we're part of, you have a certain persona that would lend one to think that they support the behavior of one James Bond played by Sean Connery in uh, this particular movie. So I'm sure we can get into that uh, on this one. But uh, this is not your first rodeo, so we'll have all your previous appearances down on the uh, show notes page, lastnighters.com slash 153. But welcome back. Thank you. All right. Yeah, it is unfortunate to, to find out that uh, Sean Connery passed away on uh, Halloween this year. For anybody who didn't already know, if you're not paying attention to the news. So very unfortunately, we lost a legend uh, who was well-versed in the uh, art of smacking women, openly bragged about it, uh, and uh, you know, openly told Barbara Walters that he, he refused to change his mind on the matter. Well, you know, you stick to your guns because apologies usually don't get you uh, where you think you want to go, right? Isn't that the, th the thing? Like, if you're not in the wrong, don't apologize. Granted, I think hitting women probably not the best thing. Well, you're not but, Sean Connery, so how would you know? That's true. But also, not hitting them, wouldn't that be sexist? Because you're treating them differently based on their sex? I don't know. I, it's over my pay grade. But, <laughs> hey, did uh, any of you guys pay attention to when he died, what the uh, reaction from the Twitter sphere was? I know when Stan Lee died, there, a whole bunch of keyboard warriors came out and said, thank God he's dead. What a horrible racist human being. Blah, blah, blah. Did... Uh, Sean Connery get ex, ex post facto canceled? No, I don't think he did. And and the reason is because he was, there's just so many women were so overwhelmingly attracted to him. I mean, he was named sexiest man of the century when he was like 70 years old. Yeah, 1999. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because women simply crave getting smacked, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> just they, they can't help themselves. The guys, it happens, same thing happened to Chris Brown. His popularity went way up after he beat the crap out of Rihanna. Wow. All right. Well, I, for the record, wife, I don't condone any of this. This is, this is all just uh, satire and conjecture. <laughs> anyway, how we usually start this off is not with so much misogyny, but with the uh, Google description. So I'm going to pull that up now and uh, we'll get into this episode on From Russia with Love, the second Bond film came out in 1963, rated PG action, action adventure film, one hour and 58 minutes. Got a 7.4 on the IMDb, 95% Rod Tomatoes and 84%. Uh, and the Metacritic and 91% of Google users liked it. The description reads, Agent 007, played by Sean Connery, is back in the second installment of the James Bond series, this time battling a secret crime organization known as Spectre. Russians Rosa Kleb and Kronstein are out to snatch a decoding device known as the Lecter, 
using the ravishing Tatiana to lure Bond into helping them. Bond willingly travels to meet Tatiana in, 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 in Constantinople, where he must rely on his wits to escape with his life in a series of deadly encounters with the enemy. Release date of May 27, 1964, director Terrence Young, and he also, uh, Terrence Young, uh, his he, he was the body double for uh, Pedro uh, Armendariz, who was dying of cancer. Um, this was his last film. And uh, budget $2 million. It, it made a, a heck of a lot more than that. And uh, one of Sean Connery's uh, better films, I think. This is often listed as one of the better Bond films, I, I think. So uh, with that, Robert, I'll go to your opening salvo. Wow. If this is one of his best movies, uh, I don't, I don't know what to say. Uh, this, this is not a good movie. This is a, a slow pondering meandering film that doesn't seem to, it, it sets up a pretty decent, interesting premise. Like we start off with these bad guys at this chess tournament and you've got this super mega brain guy. He's set up to be the super mega brain guy who's thought out every computation of possibilities that could happen. And so he's developed this perfect plan to, to get this lector and to defeat the, uh, you know, James Bond. And you're like, okay, great. I'm strapped in. This is a, this is a good start. I like this idea. I'm, I'm fully on board with this cartoonish, you know, you get, you get Blofeld, you get number two, you get number three, you get the, all the things that you know Austin Powers so famously made fun of. And it's very cartoonish, but I'm on board. But then you get into the actual story, and I, I just think it's too long. It's it's a lot of you could definitely see the the low budget. Uh a lot of it's yeah, it 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 doesn't really hold up over time. There's a lot of rear screen projection, which I can't really fault it too much for. That's kind of the technology they had at the time. And I guess you don't want to put your your stars in danger of actually, you know, being, being in a alive. Movie. Well, there was one where they're like really far away from like the what the helicopter on fire. And that was still a rear screen projection for some reason. I I don't know. I I, I want to get into the some of the things I really, really hated about this movie. But I will just say that Sean Connery had way better performances. If you want to see a fun Sean Connery movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, there are probably all kinds of other movies in the 80s where Connery was like kind of at the height of his acting powers, where he did like real movies with the like Rock. real scripts. Yeah, even The Rock is a lot of fun, but I'm sure there are other films. I mean, Hunt for Red October, those kinds of things uh, that are more serious. This is like a I don't even know what this, uh, what genre you would put this in. I, it's not like a crime caper movie. It's, man, I don't even know what this is. It's just J a James Bond movie. It's not an action adventure movie. There's none of that. There's there's one like shootout kind of punch him up scene at the gypsy place, and then there's a weird boat scene at the end, and then there's a one fist fight with the the one bad guy. And other than that, it's just all talking, with all Daniel talking, Craig. all talking and standing around, and that is it. Uh, so I I think the these older Bond movies I think people are looking at them with some with some rose colored glasses on maybe maybe people remember them being better than they were because this I thought was slow and bizarre and weird and it didn't even I didn't even get a sense that Bond was up against this mega brain challenge of this all these forces you know lined up against him and every movie makes he's just constantly getting countered by this super brain. You didn't get any of that. You, the setup didn't match the movie that I saw. It just seemed like he was in Istanbul, okay, and he's walking around and he's kind of doing spy stuff a little bit, but more than not, he's just kind of hanging out. So I don't know. He's he's banging chicks and he's punching a guy, but it's I I I hate to be the guy that always shits on movies, but this really isn't that good. Uh, but I I'm, I'm eager to hear what other people have to say. If you guys had a more positive experience with this thing, wrong. <laughs> wrong. Excellent, excellent counter. <laughs> I have been put in my place. All right. So, professional asshole is going to fact check you. Uh, wrong. Uh, all right. So, professional asshole, this this was the movie you selected. So, 
I'm sure that you have some counter, some rebuttal to what my uh, my hater here is saying about your favorite film. Yeah. Well, aside from the fact that it's establishing a lot of the genres that are going to be used later, uh, and you know, using the techniques and the stunt, uh, the the special effects and stunt work that becomes standard for Hollywood later, like you know. Robert was so easy to criticize that helicopter yep. scene. And it's like, look, this is the 19, like this is being filmed in 1962. Helicopters had only just been introduced as a viable technology. And they decided to have him, you know, they decided to blow one up, uh, you know, in an open field based on, a, you know, uh, the AR-7 that uh, Bond was using, which was, again, a brand new, rifle being used at the time so you're you're criticizing it's this is like criticizing casablanca because you know it's in black and white like, yeah no shit you're bro. really gonna defend the scene where on yes. takes one shot at this helicopter magically hit the guy in the he shoulder shot the guy. yeah he shoots the guy in the shoulder and the guy's like oh i'm hit Rub, rub, rub some, some, some ketchup on my chest. Oh, and then he drops the grenade in his lap, which blows up the helicopter. Yes, I absolutely am. They have established Bond as being an expert marksman. From like the opening scene in every one of the movies has him shooting a guy down the barrel of a gun. Okay, right. okay, okay, and okay. So you brought color, up the helicopter Robert. scene. Well, actually, I brought up the helicopter scene, but you're responding to my helicopter scene. So I'm gonna, we're gonna talk about the helicopter scene. All right. Exactly. So. They're driving down this country in this pickup like truck. Albania. That, yeah, 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 yeah. And along comes this helicopter with a guy who's got a submachine gun. And instead of having the high ground and then just shooting the people down in the truck, it and they could do nothing to stop you. They buzz. They like buzz the tower over and over again, like over and over again. They're just buzzing the tower, strafing, yeah. buzzing the tower, buzzing the tower. Give to this what end? Copy. Just they to did what end? To make him poop his pants? Is that, they did is that the, the plan? exact same thing in Lethal Weapon. I don't hear you criticizing them. They literally have the daughter drive away in a limousine while the helicopter chases it and like strafes over the top of it until she crashes. They also... So Bond gets out of the truck and then he's running around. Yeah. And then they strafe him. And all he has yeah. to do is like fall over. And you mean just like him. You mean in just like in North by Northwest? If you're bringing up better movies in defense of this crap fest, you're going to have to do better than that. That the totally different context. Nah, man, you are just a hater. You, you I hate am a hater. Movie. No, you are a hater. True. All he's got to do is stop and hover, which is what a helicopter can do really, really good. Yeah. They can just hover. And then he can pull out his machine gun and mow bond the fuck down. And I know then the movie's over and whatever, but it would make way more sense and produce a much more credible threat than to have somebody just like flapping his wings around you. All right. So the other reason I happen to really love this movie is it's just so seepingly sexist. I mean, that's just one of the most amazing things about it is the fact that it just assumes hilarious tropes about women. Like, you know, right at the beginning, uh, they get this, uh, this intelligence dossier and Emma's saying, so apparently there's this woman named Tatiana Romanova who's she just she just fell in love with you by looking at your picture and she wants to uh, give you one of these lector machines. So you're going to go down to Istanbul and you're going to pick it up and you're going to woo her. And, you know, she said she'll only give it to you. And everybody's sort of like, I mean, it's believable that a woman would just fall in love with a picture of somebody without knowing because, I mean, women do it all the time. They fall in love with with movie stars by looking at posters and. You know, they're like they're basically like children. I, I know this is a trap, but it's still completely believable that a woman would fall in love with a person just by looking at a picture, which is great. Def, you know, def, defend that, Daniel. <laughs> continue, continue on with that thought, please. I want, I'm eager to hear this. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure they can, but uh, in the context of the film, they do see right through it and and say it's obviously a trap. But they're still willing to do it because there's a the chance of getting this lector, which is a decoding machine that they can. Uh, break the code of, of transmissions from the enemy. And I guess at the time it was, uh, it was the USSR, right? 1962 cold war style. So, you know, they had to come up with a way to uh, advance the plot. I, I don't know, you know, how different the book is. Um, 
but uh, it was one of Kennedy's favorite books. And this was apparently the last film he saw before he went to Dallas. So that sort of relates back makes to it even more tragic. A movie that we did a few weeks ago. <laughs> Robert, you are such a hater, man. <laughs> the no, most I... interesting scene in the film takes place when the two spies are alone together in the train car. That oh, is the most interesting scene when they're actually, they're talking about the tools of the trade and how they're both professionals and how this is going to go down and this, that, and the other. And it's actually a scene where there's some tension and you know, Bond's going to come out on top because he's the Superman character. And but, then he's 38 more films. Right. But it's still, there's some scene with some interesting conflict there. And that was, that was, I thought that was by far the most engaging and fun scene in the film. Yeah, Quint really did a, a great There's performance. Some for your little movie. I know you're simping hardcore for this movie, but it's not going to have sex with you. <laughs> All right, now, in my reading of this, of this film, and, and I, I saw it once like 20 years ago. They used to do like TNT marathons of Bond films, like around Thanksgiving, I want to say, something like that. And then I saw it again um, when I got the. Uh, the Bond set on DVD and, and my wife and I watched all of them early on in our, in our marriage. And it's mostly like it's, it's popcorn filler, you know, it, it's candy. It's, it's cotton candy for you. It's, it's for entertainment purposes. Some of the Bond films are actually far worse. I'm looking at you Thunderball uh, and uh, a view to a kill though. That does have Grace Jones in it and Christopher Walken. So yeah, it's, that's, it's a tough call. Maybe it's not the Bond Moonraker. Maybe Moonraker is pretty bad. But you got Jack is pretty pretty slapstick, yeah, yeah. But but this is the 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 one that kind of introduces a lot of the things that they use throughout the franchise. Like Doctor No was kind of a you know one off. It did really well, uh, but it was this film from Russia with Love where they introduced like the opening scene and then the uh, the musical number with the title screens and like a lot of the uh, quippy dialogue and like one liners she'll say after somebody dies or blows up or gets thrown in the lake. And I think a lot of those changed how films were scripted going forward. You know, this is where you got the uh, I'll be back and the, you know, the Schwarzenegger and the Stallone. Around. Right. Yeah. So without Connery doing this in, in, in this film, this film right here is to blame it, for the quippy one liners from the 80s action films. Blame. No, to blame. <laughs> That's what makes those films so great. It makes them memorable. That's not what makes them great. What is up with Robert and crit criticizing the 80s, man? The 80s was a great time. There was like cocaine everywhere. The steroids were pharmaceutical grade. You know, the action heroes literally chopped people's heads off with buoy knives and snap necks like they were, you know, carrot sticks. I mean, what, what the heck is wrong with you? Man, these are great times. They are, even if they're great, they are not without criticism. They are not perfect <laughs> films. Uh, although Predator is one of my favorite movies of all time, I could it's endlessly rewatchable. I don't know if you can even come up with a whole lot of criticism for it, but it's still it's not perfect. But it is. It came out in the eighties, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's one we got to do. Actually, I don't know about you, man. I I, I wish I had. I hey, wish you son of a bitch. I had been like twenty five in like nineteen eighty, so that I could have all my best years in the eighties, making money, doing blow. Being roided up out the hills, yeah, man. Ferrari, exactly. You know, like just great times, man. I don't wish I, plus, I mean, is there a sexier woman on the planet than Maggie Thatcher? I mean, my God, what a woman! Yeah, we just Margaret did a Thatcher. Yeah, oh the, hell yeah! What the hell are we talking about here? The the me the woman from thickest, Great Britain. She gives me the thickest boner. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I'm going to deflect a little bit and just say I've, I've touched a nerve related to uh, Thunderball. Um, Perhaps they like Never Say Never Again a little bit better. The the total remake. What in the hell is happening? <laughs> you are just wrong, my friend. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. I, I, I do have a, a, a question for you guys. Okay. Do you think that Daniel Craig got brought on as Bond because he looks so much like Grant? Grant? Who's Grant? Uh, that's the uh, assassin. And that's Robert Shaw's character. Yeah, the assassin oh. is like the guardian angel for Bond. He's like protecting him while framing him until he gets the lector. Mm. Hey, I doubt that had a whole lot to do with it. Plot, I thought that, that part was really good too. You get your adversaries to fight each other so that they're 
the the victor is in a weakened state. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Yeah, no, that's an excellent tactic for sure. So that's something to be said for the plot. I will grant you that. Yeah, like like you were saying, I think it has a really strong premise. However, a lot of the uh, elements from that premise don't make a lot of sense. Like, why was Tatiana and Bond like sneaking around on her delivering the floor plan to Bond at this at the Sophia? Right? Is that where they went? Hagia Sophia. Hagia Sophia. Yeah. Why Why do that when she was just uh, in his hotel room the night before? Yeah. Like, could why she interview her on a boat? Right. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And then and then it why? it turns out that uh, his buddy uh, Karen Bay gets the plans from the city planner. And he's like, oh, look at this. Her plan, her her sketch matches the plans. So you already had the information. And he was already, you know, had the periscope in there under in the catacombs. Like he, he knew where he was. So a lot of the elements in this just don't make a lot of sense. Like I think they were just injecting spyness into this so that it, uh, I don't know, they were trying to spice it up a little maybe. Yeah, I just got the sense that one scene didn't really lead into the other very strongly. It seemed like you could reorder a lot of the scenes and it, it'd make about as much sense. It didn't really... When I was trying to follow along with the plot, I was trying to ask myself, okay, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And I shouldn't really have to ask myself that. I should. It should be obvious and apparent. You should be on board with, oh, now he's got to do this. Okay, this is exciting. Okay, how's he going to do this? Okay, this is fun. Right. Not, yeah, okay, why are they just... all of a sudden in the Hagia Sophia? Why? And yeah. Why is somebody getting killed and he's prying something out of the guy's hand? Why does this guy have the thing and... What? I don't, what, who's, what? Thing, eh. Yeah, basically things are just kind of happening and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And and similarly, the uh, the helicopter and the boat chase scene just seem like tacked on for extra yeah. action. Because yeah. it doesn't make sense yeah. why it would happen and, and how Spectre would know where Bond is with which to send a team of boats after him, the green boat and the red boat, the black boat. If they know where he's at, why don't they just have a hit squad come and get him? Because they don't actually have the Lecter machine themselves and they want to get it too, but they want Bond to be the one who delivers it to them while taking the fall and being disgraced. Why do they give a shit about Bond being disgraced? Because he's embarrassed them a few times before. So it's revenge. For killing Dr. No. Okay, I didn't really pick up on that, so I blame it's in the, the movie. beginning scene. It's in that beginning scene where they, after the chess match, and the guys like, "Oh, the the guy they would use for this is James Bond," and you know, number one, uh, who is later revealed to be Blofeld, is like, "Yeah, we want to get rid of him. We really don't. We really don't like him." Okay. All right. Well, any other points that either of you guys want to make? I mean, we haven't really talked much about this just yet. Um, I guess one point I'd like is that uh, even though there was tension between the USSR and the Americans and the British, they show in this film that the individual people are still, you have more in common with the other individuals of an adversarial country than you do with the, the you know, the tensions of the country itself or among the countries. Do you get what I'm trying to say here? Like, yes. I like that Tatiana was an actual person who, who had good qualities and bonds saw that even though there was some subterfuge that she was forced into when uh, Krab was like, if you don't agree to do this, you're not going to leave this room alive. So she was obviously coerced into doing this, but it is believable, at least within the film that, you know, she does grow an attachment to bond and, uh, you know, really likes him despite them being from uh, adversarial countries. I especially thought it was uh, interesting the way uh, Kleb asked uh, Tatiana how many men she'd been with. And she was like, three. Like, that was supposed to be like, whoa, really? Almost on the edge of what, you know, whether or not that was uh, going to disqualify her for the mission. Like, that's a scandalous number? Yeah. yeah. In 1958 or something, that's a scandalous number. Yeah, let's talk about the, uh, I'm not running to bring this up normally, but the uh, misogyny. I guess you could say of this film. I saw a couple different scenes where I identified with my amazing perception powers. So there's one scene where Bond casually slaps the girl on the ass. I do that which, all the time. Which, which, you know, 
I think is totally fine and normal and fine. Yeah. And she didn't seem to mind it at all. But I think if you're a modern day feminist, you probably like, I don't know, rolling over in your grave or something when you see that. But then there was one scene, the, the gypsy scene, which I felt was even a little bit over the top where these two girls are fighting over the opportunity to marry the leader's son. And then they're attacked by what? Uh, Russians or some other force? Uh, it wasn't really clear who was attacking. Yeah, it was them. Russians, yeah. Okay. But then, since Bond saves the life of the Gypsy King, then the king's like, yo, you can decide the outcome of this. The, these two girls fighting. And Bond's like, alright. And so then the girls come in and then he bangs both of them, of course. And then the next day, they are fawning all over him and like licking his boots and like darning his socks and you know just just do all this like super overt like worship type stuff and i was like okay even for me this is a bit much that they are just fawning all over this uber you know alpha male guy who just banged him once i was like okay that's i i could see a feminist's point here at this at this point here i was like okay you got something ladies but again that is ex- like that's exactly how Sean Connery was in real life, right? And again, he was such an open misogynist, right? Like he openly talked about how he thought slapping women was fine, and you know he would he would regularly cheat on his wife, and it, he didn't even hide it. I mean, you see this interview where he's with uh, Barbara Walters, and he's got a uh, his wife has painted a picture of him in a bathrobe without his underwear on, so you can see his dick hanging out, and he's got it on the wall just admiring himself like isn't that it's not a great painting of mayor look at you know and he's in like this this very skimpy gold robe smoking a cigar having a brandy you know just clearly not giving a shit about anybody and that's exactly how he was in real life and hands down he was overwhelmingly voted uh you know sexiest man of the century he was voted sexiest man of the year like three times and then voted sexiest man of the century so when feminists say, oh, you know, it's like, I, I hate men like that. It's like, yeah, but you keep sleeping with them. So, you know, that's on you. Oh, yeah, I, I'm fully on board with that. Like, as much as feminists decry, you know, men who are whatever, toxic masculinity and that sort of thing, you don't see women throwing themselves and sleeping with these beta male soy boys. No. You see them sleeping and, you know, having sex with all these kind of alpha dudes. So. Yeah. That's what you're attracted to. Yeah, that's I mean, that's exactly it. It's it's you know, you complain about a guy who slaps women, but if you look globally, you know, domestic violence and uh number of children born per women are like exactly correlated. You know? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's not to say that there's necessarily a cause there, but it is to say that the more often women get smacked in society, the more likely they are to have like five kids. So you know, it, it's not a deterrent is all I'm saying. Hmm. But anyways, the, the point is, of course, that, yeah, it's the fact that it's Connery's attitude, not only in his personal life, but as Bond, that does seem to make women sort of fawn like that, because that's exactly what they do. And they did it in real life, too. So to say that it's unbelievable. Well, yeah, yeah, it's generally unbelievable. But then at the same time, again, I mentioned Chris Brown earlier. His popularity shot way up after he beat Rihanna. It's like, don't ask me why. I'm not approving of it. But, you know, they seem to be like, oh, that that's okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just one consideration among many. Uh, if he's got other good qualities, I'll just sort of overlook that. You know, he's not, a, he's not mean to me. He's not a jerk to me. Right. It doesn't seem to be the deal breaker that you generally think it to be in yeah. this day and age. Right. I think well, it's yeah, different for, for a guy that like... I would view that as a deal breaker. But yes, because you're a guy. Allegedly. <laughs> We're going to fact check that. But For now, he is. We'll yeah, see. For, for now. For now. Well, anyway, th- this, this, is, uh, this is a spicy episode already. But um, <laughs> uh, speaking of the gypsy thing, I found it incredible that they would be attacked by this group of Russians who are shooting people, murdering people, and then escaping, and then they just proceed with the evening as if nothing untoward had occurred. 
That I found to be unbelievable. Is that the most unbelievable thing you found in this movie, Daniel? Yes. Yeah. The gypsies being attacked and then pretending like everything was fine is the most incredulous thing <laughs> I saw in this movie. Is it a deal breaker for you? It might be. Uh, yeah, it might be. It might have broke the plot for me. Gypsies were big partiers, though. Yeah. And yeah. what was the whole point of going there? Um, he was going to get help from the gypsies. Karen Bay was bringing him there. And it was also supposedly that the Russians wouldn't expect them to go there because Karen Bay had had hit one of his sons, who all of his sons work for him, uh, because you can trust him, apparently. Uh, Very going the other way, in, move, in, in my opinion. Right, in the rolls with, with dummies in the back to, to throw him off the scent. Obviously didn't work because that uh, assassin dude was right there and attacked the gypsy camp. Right. So it's and like, this... they do some spy stuff, but it never seems to like result in, uh, you know, spy action happening. Right. And yeah, and this is part of my criticism of this film is just that he gets to Istanbul and the plot really should be, okay, now we've got like something for you to do immediately. And then there's going to be another thing that happens due to that. But instead the spy chief master guy, I forget, what is his name? Karen Bay. Bay. Karen Bay. He's just like, well, there's not really much for you to do. So just, uh, you know, hang out. Don't go back to the hotel, but you know, just whatever. And that's really what happens in the movie. They're just like, well, uh, we could go to this gypsy place. I, I don't know. It's fun. And well, it I just so it happens a... that there's plot things that happen, but not due to any particular reason. Well, and I think he described that he he had to go to the gypsy place anyway. So Bond might as well come along with him because he obviously, you know, Karen Bay was operating all sorts of illegal activities throughout all of his temple. In fact, if for those of you guys who don't know, Karen is just a, Turkish word that means like chief, so, so calling him Karim Bay is just like chief, chief Bay, okay. um, or something like like you know we would use the word boss or something like that. Um, but yeah, he it's like well I already had business I have to go visit these gypsies anyways it's on my schedule, uh, so why don't you come with me since you can't go to the hotel? Right, right. Which uh, it just seems so. What do we do for this scene? What do we do for this chunk of the movie? I don't know. They're just, we're just going to film them hanging out. Right. But while they're hanging out, uh, Grant is framing murders of Russian agents on bond. Right. And then there's retaliation from the Russians by blowing up Karen Bay's office and nearly killing him after he's turned down his, his woman uh, for sex, for sex. Um, Which he describes as, you know, back to the salt mines and she's coming yeah. over like, come, come, you know, come over and take a break with me. Oh, I want you so bad. And he's like, oh, God, back to the salt mines. <laughs> and then the explosion. But the explosion was retaliation from the Russians thinking that it was Bond who had killed the guy tailing them. Because when uh, Karen Bay's son picks him up from the airport, picks up Bond from the airport. And I, I like that they have the little challenge phrase thing like, uh, you need a light. Oh, I prefer a, a, a lighter or a match is better or whatever they say. I thought that was really cool, you know, to see that kind of a thing. But uh, yeah. And that's, that's a real thing from history. Right. I mean, that's, I don't know if it's necessarily, I'm sure this probably does take place in spy talk in the spy world, but like back in the, I don't know, back in world war two, they, the allies had different code words to identify friendlies with. They would say, you know, thunder flash, that kind of thing. So you would right. know whether or not you were, you know, running into a German pretending to be an American or whatever. Right. And he said that, you know, when, when they're being tailed by the Citeron, uh, that, that there was a mutual like acknowledgement that they're, they follow us, we follow them. It's, you know, there's like this understanding, there's this like mild tension. But then when Grant is killing people and the Russians think it's Bond, then there's the retaliation. So there's that fighting fish, like the instigation going on, getting those, those two to fight each other. And I think that's really what they're trying to propel here by just having Bond just be there and not really have to do anything in particular just yet because they have to set this up to where there's this uh, buildup of uh, retaliation from the Russians. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the worst film in the world. It's just, I think if it was done in today's world, it's no it, high would rise. Much, it would be a much, no. No, it would actually, it would have a plot. It would, there would be things that would need to happen in an order. I, I think it'd be a much tighter, I mean, as long as it was handled well. I, there'd be more action and it would be a tighter and it wouldn't just be these tacked on weirdo action scenes shot on a rear screen projector. I, 
none of it, none of the real action was integrated into the plot except for the one fist fight, spy fight in the train scene. I don't know. Just I don't know. What do you even call? It? How would you, how would you label this film? It's I mean it's a spy film. That's why it's, it's genre setting because it was a spy film. It wasn't a heist movie, although it had elements of heist, and it wasn't like an escape movie, although it had elements of escape, and um. But it's it's a spy film. That's I mean, it's setting the genre for spy film. You know, if you have things that come afterwards, I, I'm trying to think of other movies post this era that use the honeypot as a element. I mean, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade kind of does uses uses the honeypot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's genre defining film, which is why it's early and acceptable for these things to have happened. Which is why you are simping for it. I understand. It's okay to do this. It's it's okay when when someone comes along and is a trailblazer, they are bound to inspire others to do better and to improve on it. So I will give it props for being one of the first of its kind. See, we have gotten Robert from saying this is an awful movie to it's, it's not so bad. bad to I'll it's give bad. it props to I'll give it props. I'll give so. it props for inspiring other people to come along and actually make good See, movies. This is how badasses like myself come along and change minds. At first, I start by just saying wrong. And you're like, okay, okay, I guess I have to make some better arguments. I was refuted. You even admitted it. And so now you have to move yeah. along from saying bad wrong. film to, oh, it's not so bad, to I give well, it props. it's terrible. To, to well, no, I it is it terrible. No, you're, you're still wrong, but it's okay. It has historical merit in the sense that you could unearth it and go, hey, look at this. One of the first spy movies. Don't ever use the word smart with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so so our professional asshole is clearly read the art he graduated the like second to last in your class don't ever do that <laughs> all right all right well if we if we could collect ourselves um what do you guys think of the uh the whole notion of the lector in and of itself like wasn't there a, a machine called uh, i want to say the enigma yep yes so that was that's used by the Germans in World War II. But there were also alternate. I mean, after after uh, Germany fell, Enigma machines went out and they were quickly replicated and they changed the um, the settings inside in order to change the uh, encryption codes. But uh, I mean, it, cryptography was very important throughout the entirety of the fifties. I mean, it continues to be today, but the cryptography today is really advanced. Okay, I'm going to take us on a turn here based on this, the Lecter and the Enigma and the cracking of codes. And as we're approaching D or uh, December 7th, the Pearl Harbor attack day, I, I haven't researched this in a while, but I believe I've looked into this a bit and that the code had been cracked, the Japanese code had been cracked so that there was forewarning or foreknowledge of a site being attacked in the Pacific on a specific date or imminent and that these warnings, these cracked codes were ignored or swept under the rug so that these things were allowed to happen. Do, does that sound uh, accurate to either of you guys? I've heard the theory before that FDR knew uh, of the likelihood of a Japanese attack. Um, and especially the secretary of the Navy was familiar with it and was even trying to warn FDR of that day. But the problem, as my understanding goes, is that we had cracked part of the Japanese code so that we understood certain words, but we didn't actually have their entire encryption database. So we only knew maybe 10 to 15% of the words that were coming through transmission. So we would get bits and pieces, and we get the idea that they were planning an attack, but we did not know exactly when and where. I think the important lesson in all of that was... Even if even if they didn't know exactly when and where it was going to happen, the idea was though that the United States is absolutely poking Japan and prodding them and provoking provo provoking them into an attack. They were and had embargoes on all kinds of stuff over in the in Southeast Asia. They were strangulating strangulate strings strangling them economically like, like in the opening scene of this film. Exactly. They were they were making it so that Japan had no choice but to either attack the United States and enter them into the war so that they could get into the Philippines and other places. 
in order to get like resources. They were they were they were starving for oil. And even even towards the end of the war, like they were so oil starved that the Japanese Navy was running on unrefined oil, like almost pure crude. At the uh, towards the end of the war, like through like like two like three quarters, like from nineteen forty three late nineteen forty three on, they're like running on pure crude, which is just insane. They're so starved for oil. So yeah, they were they were trying to get. They knew that Japan was starving and that they would soon attack. At least that's how I understand it. Okay, well, this is another thing I probably should have like researched a bit more prior to this episode. I wasn't even considering talking about Pearl Harbor at all when we were talking about a James Bond film. However, since we're talking about the cryptography and that sparked a memory in my old man head here as I'm getting older and older and more and more forgetful. But uh, do you guys have any final notes you want to discuss before we get into the final submarine review? Um, yeah, I didn't really take a lot of notes i i i i took my first notes when he was started slapping the, the girl and then when uh the helicopter scene happened and then i was like this is some dumb bullshit so i wrote down a few things but other than that i i want to point out that of course um as a good capitalist which bond later becomes not so good a capitalist in his later movies but early on he is given by his government uh you know 50 uh 50 gold sovereigns in order to make his way through Istanbul and all the way back. And I looked up what 50 gold sovereigns would be worth hidden in a briefcase. It's about $21,500 in today's money. So back then, probably even worth more. So yeah, they gave him a solid 30,000 bucks and he was smuggling bullets, you know, uh, through countries and, uh, you know, concealed knives and all that stuff. So, I mean, guys, a straight up libertarian badass. Those were the days, man. I know, exactly. A libertarian badass who works for the secret service of MI5? There would be private intelligence companies in Ancapistan. What the hell are you talking about? Private intelligence companies that yeah. operate above the law. Of course. Licensed to kill? Yeah, there is no law in Ancapistan. Haven't you heard of Somalia? <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh, Tommy. All right. Me. We're going to have to step outside. <laughs> Well, Robert, I'm pretty sure I, I know what you. I will judo chop you and make you instantly go unconscious. Like as soon as I like touch your neck, you're like instantly out. I do like that that Connery has such prowess in in knocking people out with a single tap. Oh yeah, you just hit him on the back of the head once, and they're like out for as long as the script needs him to be out. Yeah, Spock was like that too, man. You know, he just come up, be like, "Sir, you have uh, something on your shoulder here," and grab him by the <laughs> neck, and he was gone. I remember my wife and I have been going through Star Trek, the the original series Star Trek movies, and in the fifth movie where they go try to find God at the center of the galaxy, Spock literally knocks out a horse by grabbing its neck. <laughs> That's the one where they saved the whales? That's awesome. No, 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 that was the fourth one, which was equally bad. Okay, yeah. The fifth one I thought that was the low point. Awful. I thought the uh, the whale one was the low point, but I could be wrong, because this is they go back no. in time, right? No, yeah, that is that that is it's pretty it's not great, but man, the fifth one is just god awful. You want to talk about bad movies? That's a bad movie. Why are you hating on a movie from the eighties? Hmm? What's going on? <laughs> well, there just wasn't enough cocaine involved. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he's not saying all eighties movies are good. Not all movies can be gremlins. Just the cocaine fueled movies are good. Nineteen eighty four was the best year for movies. The top oh, Snobby Bobby, I think, says 1988 is better. So you guys might have yeah. to fight. Uh, I, I, will, I will gladly fight Snobby Bobby. Um, yeah, 1984, if you go look at the top 10 movies, every single one of them is a classic. Every single one of them. Plus, and Terminator's, Terminator's not even in the top 10 uh, grossing movies for that year. That's how many like classics there are in Stone Cold 1984. Yep. Mm. It's, it's, all, it's all classics. Every single movie that came out that year is a classic. Is that the year of Back to the Future? I think so. No, that was 85. Oh, okay. 85. But that movie, I mean, that year has just all classics all the time. Ah, see, it's Nummy Bobby. He's going to fight you. 1988 okay. for life. But uh, 84 does rule, though. Mm. So he's got a point. All right. Well, let's get into that 
final summary and review, Robert. Uh, Ooh, yeah, Ghostbusters. Ahead, so. That's a good one. Oh, okay. Yeah, you want to talk about this? This this movie, this James Bond movie? I don't even know. I, I think when I first moved out here, I watched all the Bond movies like you did. And I remember having a good time with Goldfinger and maybe a few others. And then when they, they got into the like the modern ones, they were not great, but I think Casino Royale was pretty good. This was one of those forgettable ones that as much as Asshole wants to say that this is like a groundbreaking genre-defying film, I guess you got to give it some props for that. I guess. I, I don't know enough about it. I don't know if this was... Because every other time I've seen a Bond movie, they're famous for aping what's popular at the time. Bond movies are not famous for being innovators. They're famous for, hey, what's popular? Um, God, putting some skis on a car and then driving it around. Uh, bungee jumping. Okay, we'll have Bond bungee jump in this one. Okay, uh, they'll, they'll skydive in this one or they'll do whatever. They'll, they'll parasail. <laughs> some Bond parasails in, this, in a movie. It's just whatever is popular, they'll have Bond do it and somehow work it into the plot. Uh, uh, they're, they're fun films. They're like popcorn movies, like Dan said. Their audience kind of like, just turn your brain off and enjoy it for a while. But this one I found like ponderous and slow. And maybe I've just been spoiled by recent Bond films that are far more tight, far more action but this is just, I mean, as much as I like Connery, I think that, you know, I'm glad these movies like launched his career. I enjoyed a lot of his later work uh, and he's competent here. He's definitely got a certain amount of charisma and presence. That's undeniable. Uh, there's a reason why he's the star of the film, but I didn't find the, the actual plot, which was set up in the beginning to be who get ready for this one. This one's going to be a real corker because uh, you got the super mega chest brain, who's going to duel of the mind with James Bond. But at no point in this movie does James Bond really do anything like super smart to counter this mega brain. At no point is he like super clever and he figures out, you know, all the machinations. He basically has to be told by this Spectre guy that, oh yeah, I'm Spectre. And he's like, oh crap, Spectre. I mean, he figures it out. Oh, you're not with Russia. Then you must be Spectre. But you know what I mean? Like he's not, you know, he, he wins because he's so sexy and he knows really good judo chop moves, I guess, which is kind of the joke about why James Bond in this, in this era is a, a joke. So, you know, they were doing their best at the time, but, you know, I guess for $2 million, it buys you a lot of real screen projection. I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm shitting all over this film. I didn't enjoy it. It's, this isn't a fun James Bond movie. When I go to see a James Bond movie, I want to have fun. And I, I, I found a few scenes fun, like the opening with the Blofeld and whatnots, and they're setting it up. And then the final fight scene, or not the final fight scene, the, fi the fight scene with the, the Spectre agent. That was, those were some fun bits. But other than that, it was a whole lot of boringness in between. And I was just bored. So I'd give you this four and a half fighting fish out of 10, but they are bored four and a half fighting fish. The half of a fighting fish is the one that's the eaten back half and it's sinking to the bottom up the, the little fish bowl. Wow. Okay. Well, a pretty poor score there. Uh, professional asshole. Can you uh, present your case? Well, uh, you know, I believe you know, as a, as a genre setting and defining film, um, you're talking about, you know, a lot of experimentation with new types of storytelling and new types of stunt work and new types of special effects that weren't being used before. Um, you know, but uh, Robert pointed it out right there. I mean, this movie was made on a budget of $2 million, which even, you know, back then is going to come out to like, you know, $25 million in today's, in today's money which is, it's just not a lot. I mean, imagine uh, a genre defining um, special, like, a, you know, entertaining movie that people still enjoy watching 60 years later made on $25 million uh, that broke, you know, pretty much every box office record at the time. You're talking about like, kind of like Deadpool 
is something that's close where it was made on a budget of $30 million and, uh, you know, broke every record and was enjoyable and people still watch it. Even then it's, you know, I don't think in 50 years people will be watching Deadpool, but, uh, in addition, as, as, uh, Daniel, as you pointed out, it introduced a lot of the James Bond tropes that were picked up afterwards. It wasn't just the introduction of the, uh, the scantily clad woman in leotard at the beginning, but uh, you know the quips and the specialized um, you know devices. They introduced Q in this movie. He wasn't in Doctor No. They introduced the specialized weapons and gadgets for him, and eventually that ends up almost becoming Bond's downfall because he's so over reliant upon those things, like in the Roger Moore era, and they're they're so ridiculous, like a you know a buzzsaw Rolex type thing, but. Uh, in the early days, when you just have like a like a you know fool or a, a booby trapped briefcase with a hidden knife and some hidden bullets and some hidden money in it, that's you know very reasonable, very very you know uh, settled for something that you could get through customs. Um, and the plot in and of itself is fairly simple, although I will admit that you know they have to the plot is so simple that they have to elaborate upon it by adding in what are inherently uh, unnecessary scenes. And, and I'll admit that. The helicopter scene was brought in simply to make the movie more interesting uh, and to, to show what they could do uh, with stunt work, you know, and practical effects. But yeah, this it's just go to Istanbul, meet the girl, get the lector machine, get back home. That's the entirety of the plot. Um, but nonetheless, I, I couldn't criticize this movie any more than I could criticize any, uh, you know, Hitchcock movie. I mean, Psycho has been done far better since psycho first came out but i can't criticize psycho because it was the first movie that got people actually scared um about a thriller about a murder mystery so you know i give it props i give it love um you know i know i could beat the shit out of my grandfather but i still respect him all right and what's your score in in uh japanese fighting fish i was gonna say actually it's uh uh it gets an eight and a half uh, women slaps. Okay, eight and a half right. slaps out of ten slaps. Yep. Holy slap! All right, all right. Well, well, thank you guys both for that. Uh, now, I I have to kind of harken back on my nostalgia for this, and and in recalling this film prior to watching it again, it seemed like the train. It took forever to get to the train. The train is the thing that I remember from this. Like this is like the the train Bond film. You know, uh, I. In the context of this being the very second one, like we have the ability with the hindsight to know that they made 38 or some odd more of these and, and that this established a lot of the tropes that we see later. But an audience member, a, a moviegoer at the time is probably looking at this as uh, a, a very, you know, thriller film, you know, and, and, and like a sequel to a movie that uh, overperformed. So it would be like seeing... Um, you know, the, the second, like Terminator 2 after seeing Terminator 1. And then Terminator, the franchise after that kind of goes downhill pretty pretty rapidly. Uh, they haven't quite gotten to 40 of them yet, but uh, I wouldn't put it past them to try it. But um, I think that uh, this is probably rated high in many people's lists because of the nostalgia factor for it. I think that this is one of the few films, despite all the, you know, patriarchal uh, woman abuse in this, that it is believable the love interest like there is some chemistry between uh, i think her name is daniela bianchi and uh, uh sean connery and this is one of the 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 few films where there there actually is kind of that connection uh until i want to say casino royale when you kind of believe daniel craig's uh, into vespa um but you know all those ones in between it, it becomes um, a little bit more on the misogyny end and less on the believable uh romantic end but overall, I think that it's actually a pretty good film. Uh, it does. Well, I'll, I'll rephrase that. I think that there is a good 90 minute film in this film. You just have to cut out like 15, 20, 30 minutes of this extraneous uh, nonsense that that's uh, kind of injected in just to like add some action, add some some spyness. Uh, and and I, I feel like a re-edit of this could actually make it a pretty tight film and, and make it a lot better. However, I'm going to give this 007 uh, as my score because I uh, have to be a dork about the score. So, 
so there you go. That's that's our episode. We should just rename this Robert and Two Simps beta movie. <laughs> Robert and Two Simps watch a movie and talk about it. It's, it's pretty catchy. Pretty catchy. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Professor Asshole, thank you uh, for joining us for this episode of The Last Nighters, and we will have your prior appearances. Um, I think the most recent was Edge of Darkness. You've also been on for 310 to Yuma. You've been on for, oh, the um, greatest Thanksgiving film of all time, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, and I think a few other things as well. So I'll put all of those on the uh, show notes page, and that can be found at uh, lastnighters.com slash 153. And uh, Robert, why don't you tell people what they can win if they choose to support what we do here? Oh, man. Daniel's talking about me potentially stealing Snobby Bobby's idea and giving like a drawing of supporter, you know, to uh, at a certain level or not. I, they do it at the five dollar level. I don't know if I want to go that low, but we'll see. I, I, I he might be able to convince me. He's also got me working on some some spread for the voluntarist comic book, or at least I'm supposed to be working on that, which I, which I have been doing a very good job avoiding. So, uh, yeah, we, um, you normally, you win a whole lot of virtual hugs and thanks and just the feeling of superiority that you get by supporting us, which is a, a normal feeling. So that's, that's something don't, don't discount that. That's important. Um, yeah, uh, you can you can do that at the Patreon, get the monies, and then you can also go to Trumpster.com and buy some merch. This is the time to do that with uh, the holidays coming on us. So, um, yeah, uh, leave a review, leave a like, leave a subscribe. We, uh, we look forward to all the comments, all the pushback, all the negativity, all the positivity, all the uh, just don't. Well, I can't as a, as a, as a committed lurker myself. I can't fault you for just listening and then turning it off and then going on to the next thing. I just appreciate you for listening. So thank you very much for that. Right. We're, we're pretty strong lurkers here on, on the, uh, this show. Um, I, I lurk often on uh, the, like the Dave Smith show, part of the problem. Uh, I lurk on the occasional Tom Woods show uh, among others. And I also lurk in uh, a few private Facebook groups. Well now me, we groups cause I'm, I'm getting excommunicated from, uh, from Facebook, I think. Yeah. Uh, how for- is the me, we, uh, it's a little awkward, but uh, content is king, and that's where all the cool kids are going. So if you want to be with the cool kids, you got to go where the cool kids hang down by the park and smoke. Yeah, you better get on there because I deleted my Facebook group. It's all on MeWe now. Yeah, oh, we'll get shit. you in there. Yeah, right. so look, look us up. Uh, Daniel Elwood on uh, on the old MeWe sent me uh, whatever contact request, whatever um, GoBots uh, version of Transformers they're using for the language. <laughs> Uh, of facebook into me we speak um <laughs> and uh robert next week we're going to be uh inviting another guest who's been on many many times in the past it's jared wall of anarcho land and breaking liberty coming back on to talk about his favorite movie of all time he's mentioned it uh when we did hotel rwanda that his favorite movie was an indian film called three idiots and how appropriate that you and i and he will be reviewing a movie called three idiots yeah, I remember him talking it up quite a bit. I forget what the plot line was, but I'm looking forward to it. We haven't done a Bollywood film yet, so I'm I'm stoked. Yeah, it should be pretty awesome, so we'll be doing that next week. And uh, uh, I think it's on the old Amazon Prime, so it won't cost us much more than a dime to, to watch that. Sick. Sick. All right, well, uh, professional asshole, thanks again. Do you have any final words, and, and are you able to stick around for the Patreon bonus content? Just a little bit longer. Right. I know it's late. I will definitely stick around, but I have no final words. I am going to reserve judgment and all my extra words until afterwards so that I can chew out, uh, chew out Robert for his poor, his poor review of this movie, of this amazing, excellent movie. All right. All right. Yeah. Give, give the legendary film something to look forward to if they, if they crack open their wallets right now and contribute to the here, Robert get cussed out in the bonus content fund. Uh, so that we can buy a new Ferrari Testarossa like Dr. Dre. So go to lastnighters.com. Yeah, we get the, with the fins on the side, right? 80s style? Like my He's going to get pimp slapped by a simp. Does it come with like a gallon of cocaine? Yeah. Gallon, we don't sick. measure by the gallon. We measure by the kilo. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll the use the pure. 
All right. Well, uh, that's been our episode on From Rush With Love. You can find the show notes tomorrow at lastnight.com slash 153. And uh, we will bid you good night from last night.